Hey, welcome to the Saints Church Podcast. We are so happy to have you tune in for another incredible sermon. Let's tune in together. Hey, church. So great to see you uh, from house to house, home to home. I love that we get to do this together, whether we're in the same room or we're in different places. We are doing this together. We're, we're leaning in and uh, we're studying the scriptures together. We're building our, live, our lives on Jesus. And there's something beautiful about that. So thank you so much for joining me. I want to remind you that this is, you know, we, we all know this is a difficult season, but I want to remind you that you can phone or text 587-400-2010 at any time, and we would love to talk with you, to pray with you, connect with you, help you walk through and navigate this season. I think it's really important uh, for you to know that we are here to help, and we love you, and you might be far from God, you might be a Christian, you might be on here for the very first time, you need to know that we want to walk with you, and that you're not alone. We're all in this together, and we are, in fact, better together. And uh, so let's let's turn now to the scripture. We, we believe that this is timeless truth for everyday life. So let's go to the scripture, Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. So there's this idea maybe that he's a different person or he's a prophet. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And I have to imagine that, that Jesus, when asking that question, looks into their souls with those eyes in a way that only Jesus can. He says, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, full of courage, answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Today, I want to ask you, on behalf of Jesus, in the same way, who do you say that I am? Maybe we could rephrase it. Who do you say that Jesus is? We're in week six of Embrace the Mystery. We're studying the Trinity. We're diving in. We're, we're discovering the different parts and aspects. We've got to remember God is uh, co-equal and co-eternal, three in one. We're talking about Jesus today. Who do you say that Jesus is? Maybe you would uh, say that Jesus is a healer. Maybe you would identify him as a notorious friend of sinners. Others of us, we love the idea of the table flipping Jesus, and we just like to, to see him that way. Jesus as a teacher or Jesus as a nice guy. Jesus, uh, or Jesus the master of the indirect answer. We all have different things that we gravitate to, uh, but I think it's, we got to be careful that we don't typecast Jesus. We cannot typecast Jesus, put him into this little box and say that that's all he is. It wouldn't be good for his character development because what we see in the word is that he's not a character at all. You know, in fact, there's one thing, one thing that ties together the generations. That's everyone from historians to theologians would agree that Jesus walked on this earth. The big question is the question that Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that Jesus is? So from the, on the religious spectrum, we can start like in the new age, and that's where we got uh, people like Deepak Chopra, uh, Eckhart Tolle, even Oprah, they would say that Jesus, you know, he's an enlightened teacher. He's one of many kind of spiritual gurus who's come to teach positive thinking, uh, come to help humanity achieve some enlightened state of nirvana. Islam would declare that Jesus is a prophet. 
Philip Yancey, in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, actually sets the stage for us uh, in Orthodox Christianity. He says, icons of the Orthodox Church stained glass windows in European cathedrals, and Sunday school art in low church America all depict a placid, tame Jesus, yet the Jesus I met in the Gospels was anything but tame. A step beyond there, we would have, you know, Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses, and they would believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation, but, but they would disagree or they don't believe that Jesus was divine or that he ever claimed to be. Uh, moving through history, we can actually move to like a secular school of thought. There, you know, uh, Herman Samuel Ramaris in the 1700s described Jesus as a failed revolutionary. David Strauss in the 1800s, he, he thinks that all of the miracles of Jesus should be removed. And most of the words that were attributed to Jesus in the Gospels uh, weren't actually his words. That progression continues to Albert Schweitzer uh, in the early 1900s, who would describe Jesus as a failed apocalyptic Prophet. So as you can see, the, the perspectives of who Jesus is are varied. So C.S. Lewis, the great author in order, he said, a man who is merely and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher, but a lunatic or the devil of hell. So let me ask you again, who do you say that Jesus is? is. Uh, in his book, The Problem of Jesus, Mark Clark says two reasons people generally reject the idea that Jesus claimed to be God. So either people already have an idea of who God is and can't fit Jesus into that, or they already have an idea of who Jesus is and can't fit God into that. So either you, you, know, you think you know who God is and you can't make Jesus fit, or you think you know who Jesus is, but you can't make God fit. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to roll it all the way beginning as we, we seek to understand more of who Jesus is, okay? We're going all the way back, Genesis 1, verse 1. Let's take it to the beginning. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in the beginning, God, uh, that word there is Elohim, and that's what we're coming here for. Uh, created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we begin to see a picture of creation with God, who is described here as Elohim, and we see the Spirit of God. But there's more to this. What you discover is that word Elohim is a plural noun, but it always is used in conjunction with a singular verb. So it's describing this plural nature of God, but the action is singular. I don't know about you, but uh, I've passed on this trait to my son, uh, Everett, and Everett loves uh, on every single DVD, every single video on Netflix, he loves watching behind the scenes. So right now, he loves like stop motion films. And so he, 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 he makes like these little stop motion films, which are absolutely incredible. And he uses a little Lego and plasticine. He has literally watched this behind the scenes uh, documentary on how to do it. I'm like hundreds and hundreds of times. He loves to know how things work and behind the scenes. I, I remember I used to love it too. I had this book of Jurassic Park. I think I might have talked to you about it before where I, I had all the behind the scenes and you could see where the, the head of the, the dinosaur switched to being a robot. I love to see how it happens and, and we can keep that same approach. I want to know how Genesis 1 happens and the truth is we can discover this uh, in scripture. Why don't we, we go over to John chapter 1. Jesus gives us a backstage pass 
and, 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 and just, we can see where he fits in this picture. So this is John chapter one. It says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. Okay, we're at the beginning. The word already existed. The word they're speaking of Jesus and the word was with God and the word was God describing his nature. He existed in the beginning with God, just to underline it. God created everything, so this is the behind the scenes, through him, and nothing was created except through him. So we're doubling down. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Then we can flip over uh, to Colossians Colossians chapter one, and I know Pastor Jeremy uh, shared this when he started to teach about Jesus, but I wanna give you a little bit more. First uh, Corinthians 15 verse, uh, sorry, one verse 15 to 20, we really wanna lean into this. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything and was created, uh, sorry, he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. Who is Jesus to you? And is Jesus first in every part of your life? For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So we get this behind the scenes footage. He's first in everything. Jesus, when we're trying to understand that God's self-revelation is an invitation to relationship, we begin to understand that Jesus Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He is the face. He is who we connect to on a deeply personal and human level because God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. He's first in everything. Continuing in John 1.14, it says, so the word became human, or another translation says, the word became flesh, and he made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. The word became flesh. Jesus became human. The Sunday following the tragic attacks on September 11th, 2001, the church of, the Redeemer Church in New York City exploded. It went from a weekly average attendance of about 2,000 people and it grew exponentially to 5,000 people in one, in one week. Those ripples felt worldwide of that attack was doing something in the hearts and minds and lives of, of people around the world, particularly in New York City. And so 
I'm always curious, how, how, what do you say? <laughs> what do you say in those moments? So the pastor, Timothy Keller, stood up in front of those 5,000 people on Sunday whose hearts were broken, who were in deep pain, and for maybe the first time in his, their lives are reaching out to Jesus, and he opens his Bible to John chapter 11, And he shares this observation. In John chapter 11, we find the account of Lazarus, one of Jesus' best friends, dies. And Jesus is coming to his tomb. Now we have the privilege of having read the Bible before, and maybe you're discovering this for the first time, but one of Jesus' best friends uh, the best friends on earth dies and he's coming to, to, to this tomb. And what, what we can know if we keep reading chapter 11 is that in like 10 minutes or so, Jesus is gonna change everything. He's actually gonna bring Lazarus back to life, from death to life. Tim Keller opens up this passage of scripture and I, I wrote it down because I just wanna share his words for you. He says, Jesus knows that in 10 minutes or so, they're all gonna be rejoicing. He says, you and I, when we go into these tragic situations, have no idea. We go into these situations and we, and we can't do a thing about it. Now, here's what's so interesting. We say, boy, if, if, if we had that, like if we had that knowledge uh, or if we had that power, I don't think I would, I would show up. You see, because what we find in, in John eleven thirty eight 38 is that Jesus was, was angry. He was full of emotion. The Bible says he was deeply moved. And, and part of that is, is the translators were playing a little, a little safe. He was coming in and his nostrils were flaring. He, he looks at death the same way that we do. It's his enemy and he's angry about it and he's upset. But in John chapter eleven thirty five, 35, uh, the shortest verse in the Bible, one that I would often go to is my go-to memory verse. It says these two words, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. If you went into this knowing of what you're about to do, that you're about to bring somebody back from the dead, <laughs> and you got a room full of people that are, that are weeping, that their sorrow is going to be turned into to joy in about 10 minutes. Why would you show up and cry? Why would you show up and weep? Why would you do it? Does it might make psychological sense to you that if you knew you're about to turn everything around, that you would be drawn down into the grief? You would enter into the trauma and the pain of hearts. Why would Jesus do that? Why, even for those 10 minutes, would he step into the deep pain when he knows that everything's about to turn around? The answer is simple, but it's not easy. The answer is because Jesus' embodiment of perfect love. He will not close his heart, not even for 10 minutes. He will not close himself off. He will not refuse to enter in. He doesn't 
well, there's, there's, no, there's no point in all this grief. There's, there's no point in all this pain. It's all going to go away in a minute. He doesn't avoid it. Jesus goes in. The Word becomes flesh, and he leans in to our pain and our heartbreak. Those two words, Jesus wept, signify the embodiment of God coming to earth, and he comes in. He comes into our pain. He comes into our suffering. He comes into our tragedy, and he's there with us. He never leaves you. He will not ever forsake you. Jesus goes in. Mark Clark says it like this, the suffering of Jesus for our sake is not just something he did, but it tells us who God is. This is who he is, whether in his death or in the midst of the death of a loved one or our pain, our tragedy, our brokenness. He gets it and he comes in. He might be getting ready to turn it around. For some of you today, I'm here in fact to tell you that Jesus is about to turn it around, but he's gonna sit with you and he's gonna let you wrestle. He wants to, he wants to wrap his arms of mercy and grace around you in the midst of this prolific pain as if not to write it off. He says, I'm right here right now, but watch what I'm about to do. In Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 23, it says, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Sometimes maybe you've asked this question, well, they didn't name him Emmanuel, they named him Jesus. I don't understand this, this phrase. It says, and they will call him. It's his reputation, you know. We're only a few weeks removed uh, from the Super Bowl, and you might not be a sports fan, but Tom Brady is known as the GOAT. And you might be like, I don't understand why they call this quarterback an animal. And that animal doesn't seem to accurately reflect football. But it doesn't mean like GOAT, the animal. It means greatest of all time. They will know him and they will call him the GOAT. That's who Tom Brady is. That idea that people just, just put this name and that's what they're talking about here. That's what the writer of Matthew, Matthew himself is saying. They will call him, in fact, we could say it, and we will call him God with us. It's who he is. His nature, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Come on, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace. Flipping back to Colossians 1.17, it says he existed before anything else, but get this, before anything else, and he holds all creation together. He holds all creation together. If he can hold all of creation together, then he can and will hold you together. Who do you say that Jesus is? I would say he's the one who holds it all together. Let's take this to the Old Testament uh, because there's something 
be gleaned and to be learned. We, we can think about um, Exodus 3, 14, and this is the moment where uh, God, Yahweh, introduces himself to Moses. He comes in the form of a burning bush. They're having this discussion, and God describes himself with this phrase. He says, uh, I am who I am. I am who I am. And this is a difficult phrase, right? This is like, what does that even mean? I am who I am. Lots of smart people have really wrestled with that phraseology, with that language. But I actually think that the Hebrew uh, scholar Everett Fox gets it right. And he, and he says, this is, this is his best way to describe it. It says, I will be there howsoever I will be there. Come on, that's the nature of God. Jesus becoming the total fulfillment of this promise. And he says, listen, I will be there. Howsoever, I will be there. It's changed over time. In the, in the Old Testament, in this portion of scripture, God would show up as a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day, and he would lead and he would guide his people. Jesus shows up on the scene, and he says, I am the word made flesh. And he says, I'm gonna promise you someone, the Holy Spirit, who's gonna come after me, who will be with you. Jesus, he, he says this in Matthew 28, 20, says this, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In, in Psalm 46, one, David writes it out in, in this language. He says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's our very present help in time of need. Who is Jesus? He's our very present help in time of need. He will be with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is word made flesh in our life who sits and comes into our pain, who holds the world together and he holds us together. The book of Revelation, that's right, the big scary book of Revelation goes on to describe Jesus like this. He says, I'm the alpha, the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That is who Jesus is. That is who Jesus is. The beginning, the end, and everything in between. He walks with you in every season, every moment. He comes into your pain and he takes the broken pieces and he puts them back together. Now when we think of this in the context of the Trinity, three and one, down like this. The God who has claimed us for himself is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not just Father, not just Son, not just Holy Spirit. So let's put some further language to that. God is God who is for us. He's our Father. God is God with us, and he is the Son, Jesus. And God is God in us, who is the Holy Spirit. We're going to jump over uh, to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Uh, I know this is, this is a lot coming at you, but Jesus is a lot. And I think sometimes we, we typecast him or we we find one or two attributes that we really like about him and we focus on those things, but he is the fullness of God and a man and he's fully man and it's, it's, there's so many words used to describe the full nature and the character of Jesus and I could go a step further. I could just describe who he is to me and if I put it into words, I would say Jesus is my friend. 
who leads and who guides. This is Matthew 28. Look at verse 19. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That word for baptism is baptizo, which means to be immersed, which is where we get uh, build the basis of you know baptism. And by the way, if you want to get baptized, we'd love for you to do that. You can head to scatteredsaints.ca, uh, hit the sign up button, and you can uh, sign up to get baptized and take your next step forward. But that's where this this idea is, is established of full immersion baptism, fully under the water. Dr. Daryl Johnson says it like this: When we say yes to Jesus as Savior and Lord, we are immersed talking about that word baptizo, which means immersed, but we are immersed into the love and life of God the Father and are immersed into the grace and truth of God the Son, and we are immersed into the power and purity of God the Spirit. I would go as far as to say that most of us are not yet experiencing and appropriating all that is available to us. There is more in God. There is more in Jesus that is available to us. God, would we be people who passionately whole heart? Can we just can we just be frank for a moment? Can we just talk honestly for a moment? Could you identify, if you've been a believer for a long time, what was the moment that you felt like your faith just kind of plateaued? If you're new to faith and maybe you're on this huge, incredible upward swing because you're just overwhelmed by the immersion of every part of God, what's the thing that's captivating you most? Did you know that it doesn't matter how long you've been in this journey, how long you've been in this walk, that there's always more, that you will never find the depth of God? Church, do we have an appetite for more of Jesus? Do we have an appetite for more of the Spirit? Do we have an appetite for more of God? Do we have an appetite to go deeper, to press further, to reach out, to understand that there is more available for us, that that our life of faith is not limited, that there is no cap on the ceiling, and that any cap that we've put on is, is purely humanly limitation? Do you have a a taste? Do you have an appetite? Do you have a craving for more of the Spirit of God, for more of Jesus at work? Do you have a hunger and a thirst for more because Jesus wants to introduce himself to you in a deeper way? limitations. He wants, to, he wants to do some more renovations on your heart and on your mind so that he can take you deeper and further. Are you hungry? Do you thirst? Who do you say Jesus is? Or do you say that you you know him, you've got it? Craig Springer says it like this. Seeking God in new ways can open up your mind to new revelations or perhaps old revelations in new forms. God showing his love for humanity came up with a plan. The Bible describes 
Christ's mystery in words that you're very familiar with. It says in John 3, 16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave. He gave. He gave. And the truth is he gave Jesus, but he has not ever stopped giving. There is more. There is more to his love. There's more to his grace. There is more to his mercy. And you are not limited in this moment. Can we all do this together right now? Would you put out your hands just like you're about to receive a gift? And if you're one who follows Jesus, maybe you're one who's far from him. Why don't you just, well, let's just do this together no matter what our where we are in our journey because Jesus is here right now and he wants to connect with you on the deepest level. But we have our hearts and our minds and our spirits to him. Uh, take off our limitations. Would you just do this and put out your hands and pray with me and just say, Jesus, I want more of you in my life. I want more of you in my life. Theologian and priest Henri Nouan sat in Hermitage Museum in St. Peter, Petersburg, Russia, for hours, and he was reflecting on a painting, Rembrandt's great painting called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And while staring at that painting for hours, he became captivated with a thought, and he gained a new insight parable, and I can't say it in any words better than his words right here. He described the inside of the painting as this. Jesus left the house of his heavenly father, came to a foreign country, gave away all that he had, and returned through a cross to his father's home. All of this he did, the rebellious son but as the obedient son sent out to bring home all the lost children of God. Jesus is the prodigal son of the prodigal father who gave away everything the father had entrusted to him so that I could become like him and return with him to his father's house. There is more to Jesus. There's more to God than essence and the nature and the character of God than we've even scratched the surface of. Will you draw near in these next moments and days and discover who Jesus is? Then maybe we could answer, who do you say that Jesus is? Come on, let's go to John 14. We'll start at verse 1. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I'll get you so that you will always be with me where I am, and you know the way to where I'm going. 
I love this. Thomas jumps in. He says, no, we don't, Lord. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And then Jesus says this in response. Clear and articulately, he says, I am the way. I am the way. Jesus is the way. He is the giant neon side. He says, you're trying to figure out the way? I'm the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is from now on. You do know him and have seen him. We see the Father through the Son. Jesus is the way in the life. The only way we draw near to the Father is through Jesus. He is the visible image of the invisible God, and he is present, and he leans in, and he holds the world together. And if you let him, he will hold your world together. That is just who Jesus is, and there is more more for you to discover about Jesus. Follow him one step at a time. May we be a church who passionately pursue and who passionately approach Jesus as a friend that we just want to get closer and closer and closer too. Maybe you're watching today and you don't have that relationship with Jesus. You don't have any relationship with Jesus. You, you don't even know how you got here. Maybe a friend invited you or you just saw a video was playing. Maybe you searched something on, on Google that led you to YouTube or you're flipping through the channels. I, I don't know how you found a podcast. I don't know. But what I do know is this. Jesus loves you, and Jesus is leaning in. He's leaning in, and he wants to meet you where you are so he can lead you forward into a bright and a glorious future. If only you would let him. He's going to show you the world the way that he meant it to be seen, the way that he created it. So if that's you today, and if you would say, I want to invite Jesus into my life, I want to give him my whole heart. I want to know him. I want to know the creator of the universe. I want to hold the hand of the one who holds the world. And we're going to pray together. You can also pick up your phone right now or screenshot this number, 587-400-2010. Text the word Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. If you want to take that next step forward, text the word Jesus to 587 400 This is the best decision that you could ever make. We want to walk with you on that journey and with this decision. But we're going to pray together, and I want you to pray this prayer with me. It's this, a line in the sand that says, from this day forward, I'm following Jesus, okay? We're all going to do this together from house to house, from home to home, no matter where you are. Just repeat this after me. We Let's pray together. We say, dear Jesus, I need you now more than ever. So I give you everything my wins and my losses, my sins and my successes, they're all yours. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, come into my pain. Come into my hurt. Come into my greatest triumph. From this moment forward, I'm following you one step at a time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Well, thank you so much for listening in on the Saints Church Podcast. Be sure to tune in next time and enjoy the rest of your day.